Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host this week, Chris Reese, and I am your co-host, Helen Hillix. Today's show is about Grindr, the internet <clears throat> sensation. Um, is it more than a way to hook up? Is it also an opportunity for public outreach and a way to build community? With 2 million daily active users, Grindr, the gay social network, is uniquely situated to advance human rights by addressing health, justice, and other important issues among LGBT populations. Can a hookup site really change the world? Why does it matter to all of us? Co-host Chris Reese and Helen Hillix will speak with Jack Harrison Quintana, Director for Grinder for Equality, G4E, and Peter Slaughterdyke, Vice President of Marketing for Grinder, to explore these questions and more. Can we embrace social media as a partner to improve the quality of our lives and suspend judgment if we don't engage in similar practices? Why do we even label someone as LGBT? We are all humans with the same needs for love, comfort, safety, good health, and well-being. Recently, Grinder for Equality sent messages educating Grinder users about the therapy that vastly reduces HIV transmission risk. Follow-up research showed that G4E influenced 20% to start treatment. This is for the highest good of all. And we would like to welcome Jack and Peter, but first I will turn the show over to our host for today, Chris Reese. Thanks so much, Helen, and welcome Jack and Peter. We're really happy to have you join us today. I invited the team from Grinder to be on Interrevolutionary Radio because I feel like they so beautifully exemplify oneness, accountability, and mutual support, and I wanted to have an opportunity for our listeners to hear about the work that they're doing to support human rights, specifically for the LGBT community, and to help, you know, get the word out about um, how important it is for us to support the work of of all groups that embrace human rights. And uh, for those of us who may not have had the opportunity to understand the breadth of what Grinder is doing, um, today's show will help open your eyes and open your hearts as well. So, from there, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Jack. Um, Jack Harrison Quintano is an activist. Um, he's currently serving as the director of Grinder for Equality, and he's worked with National um, LGBTQ Task Force, doing global research, and uh, you know just a number of number of different organizations who are helping to support equality on a national and an international basis. So let's start out, Jack, by you telling us a little bit about your work at Grinder and um, you know how you came to join Grinder, what your passion is, and what you're hoping to do at Grinder in your role as director for director of Grinder for Equality for about ten years. And I've done. I think last time I checked, I had done some piece of on the ground LGBT political organizing in about one out of every five countries on earth. And, you know, the, there is sort of this one pattern that kept standing out to me, which was there were are organizations everywhere. And for anyone out there who doesn't know, you know, there are LGBTQ uh, advocacy movements in virtually every country on earth. But even in the United States, you know, sometimes 
the thing that we fail to do is we have really great activists who are have really great ideas. They may be running great services and programs, but they can sometimes not necessarily have all the connections to the community broadly. And the community is always growing because people are always coming out and figuring themselves out and finding their way into the community. So I think one of the biggest promises of Grinder for Equality and what really drew me to the organization was the chance to really address that issue and to act as a go-between uh, between these direct service organizations and advocacy groups and just the general population of gay, bi, and trans folks who are on the app who are really impacted by the work of these organizations and can really benefit from it. And in many cases, you know, they really want to be involved, but don't know, you know, don't know how to find them, don't know who they are. Don't, they may have heard of organizations in the U.S., but not in their local context. Um, and so I think, you know, that's kind of the big frame for what I do. Thank you. Thank you. So what are you trying to accomplish with Grinder for Equality? And tell us about some success well, you know, stories. Sure. Well, broadly speaking, Grinder for Equality was founded to promote LGBTQ health and human rights around the world. We have users in 197 countries, which, depending on how you count, uh, you know, what counts as a country is basically all of them. Uh, and our sort of lofty goal is to really, um, you know, make a better world where people can be healthier and have all the rights that, uh, you know, they're entitled to in all of these places. And That's a pretty amazing goal. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing, uh, amazing history that you have, too, of actually working in one in five countries. You know, that's a lot of countries, Jack. That's a, that's a lot of traveling. That's a lot of hard work that you've done to try and spread the word about, you know, the, these wonderful values and principles of what we would call oneness, accountability, and mutual support in the inner revolution. You know, the oneness of, you know, LGBTQ people are just like everybody else. <laughs> you know, we're all one. We're all accountable how we treat each other, how we impact each other. And we've got to come together to support what's for the highest good of all. And that's got to include everybody. So I, I'm, yes. very imp- I'm very impressed by the hard work that you're doing. And, you know, we really feel a kinship with the what we call the inner revolution because the work you're doing really requires people to challenge themselves on the inside don't you think what what think they believe right. i think you know one of the ways that i think about that is that you know we really have these dual purposes of addressing human rights and health but there one thing that really undergirds both of those is shame and especially sort of in the lgbtq case internalized homophobia or internalized biphobia and transphobia. And so I always do say, and it sounds like this sort of resonates with your overall message, that doing activism helps you address that inner struggle and addressing that inner struggle helps you to do the activism and demand the rights that you know you deserve. You can't demand things that you don't uh, believe in your spirit that you're entitled to. 
Wow, that's so well said. But it also, I'm sorry, just I wanted to make it one question that because you are also political activists, it it also, you're challenging other people, you know, who don't identify as LGBTQ to have an inner revolution, you know, to change the way they feel and, and get out of the judgment and the shaming. Uh-huh. I think yeah, that's right. So- I, you know, that's, it's interesting. Oh, please go ahead. No, Jack, please. Oh, I was just going to say it's so interesting to hear it phrased that way because I so think of myself as sort of LGBT facing. Uh, you know, I've always felt like my role has really been about addressing my own people and building them up to be able to do the work to talk to um, folks who may not be already with us. Uh, but I think that's right, you know, that we are sort of asking that everyone change. And I think that that actually does uh, mean that we have to ask straight people who may not be with us already to think about their own shame around sex and gender. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I think just the debilitating effect of shame, period. When we were preparing for the show and I was writing the show description, I found myself just writing... And, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but why do we care if anyone is LGBT or Q? Like, why aren't people just people? You know, why do we have to find some reason to say, oh, you're this and I'm that, you know? And, and believe me, I have not, like, achieved this lofty state of human existence where I never separate from other individuals. I don't want to present myself that way. But I think where we want to go and this is what the inner revolution is trying to support is to have this conversation where we can challenge our ourselves to see how we separate from each other. We put labels on each other. You know, we do it to feel secure, but underneath it all, we're all usually trying to cover up some shame that we have, you know, like if I'm going to point my finger at someone else and hold myself above them, it's because of course, in some way I felt insecure. So, so as, as you know, humanity, we want to, we want to move beyond that. And, um, you know, the shame about our sexuality and just, just, you know, the general misunderstanding we have about sexuality. I was recently in Hawaii with my family and my son's 15, and there were some nude beaches. And my son was just aghast at the whole thing, you know, and he's a pretty, he's a pretty sheltered kid in a lot of ways anyway. But I thought, you know, if we were in Europe and people were top and women were topless at the beach, he would be aghast. Like, and it shows us how much our culture is determining what we think. And, and it's our culture that will tell us that there's something wrong with being LGBTQ or not. And, you know, Helen and I are fortunate enough to live in Southern California. And just, just, it just happens to be who we are as people that we, we want to embrace the oneness with everyone. So, so for us, it's not a hurdle to get over. And we want to be part of the conversation to help other people to get over what other, whatever limitations they have so that we can see ourselves as just fellow human beings first and, you know, recognize we all need love, we all need safety, we all need protection. You know, people want to have, you know, capable, you know, people who are capable of it want to work and do work that's meaningful, you know, and that can help them have, you know, a decent life. And it's just that common human need. And it, it's... It, it really brings, it really touched me deeply when I started investigating your, your website and your work 
um, I got to know Grinder initially for professional reasons, and I downloaded the app. And um, I, I happened to be married to a man, so I wasn't actually dating, but I wanted to see how the app functioned for professional reasons. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking at the website, and I actually I called Helen and I said, "Oh my gosh, I want to have Grinder on our show. Like what they are doing is so cool, and I don't I don't think people know about it at all because." When you say grinder, you know, often there's like, oh, ha, 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 you know, it's basically hookup. It's a hookup sex site for buying um, gay men. And, of course, you know, you're so much more than that. So how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, when, when you're out in the community, you're at political, you know, events, or, or you're dealing with, you know, the community at large, not just the LGBT community, how do you deal with that reaction that, that you might get where people are like, oh, grinder, it's really all about sex? How do you overcome that stigma? Well, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, I don't know that I'm too worried about the stigma and the sex stuff. I, and I do think I, one thing is, I guess it depends on who you're talking to, right? Like when people yeah, do right. have very different yes, reactions. Yes, it does. It really depends <laughs> on who you're talking to. Sometimes people don't know. You know, sometimes I say I work at Grindr and they don't know what that is. So that's also one reaction. Um, not, not all straight people, I think, uh, have necessarily heard of it because it just doesn't necessarily enter their um, radar screen. But, you know, one thing that I think is really interesting and important to talk about is the difference that I get in reactions here in the U.S. and abroad. Because I think, you know, in most of the world, uh, it doesn't have quite the same stigma. In the places where LGBTQ people are already so stigmatized, the idea of a gay app is much easier uh, for people to take on board if they're pro-LGBT. It's like, okay, well, of course. Um, but, you know, I think the sex aspect for me is, is actually really crucial to the work that I do, right? Like, I think that it really enables me to have um, clear conversations around sexual health that I might not be able to have if that weren't uh, part of, you know, what was going on in the app. Um, it really allows me to talk about our community in a way that I think can really embrace its totality because we're not necessarily trying to uh, entirely desexualize uh, the gay community, and I really appreciate that. Um, and then in general, I just think, you know, people hear what I'm doing, and even if they do have different preconceived notions of the platform, I think very quickly people can see, oh, you know, if you have a highly networked group of oppressed people of any kind, then, of course, that has tremendous potential for social justice. Mm, yeah. Yep. So I guess, you, you know, know, it doesn't I, I bother me. <laughs> Good. Well, that's the most important thing, Jack, is it doesn't bother you because you're the one doing it. Yeah. You're the one that, you're the one that is, right. yeah, you're the one that is facing whatever, you know, potential prejudice is going on. You know, you're the one that's having to handle it. And of course, the way you feel about it has a tremendous impact on how the conversations go. And again, you're, you're bringing up again the issue of shame and your lack of it around that topic is, is a wonderful entree to other people releasing their prejudices because it's like, you know, there's no shame here. There's no shame in the field. Um, One of the things I wanted to go back to about the, you know, the political activism that you're engaged in and trying to pass and trying to get laws, you know, prejudicial laws repealed and trying to encourage, you know, legislation and judicial uh, edicts 
that are more favorable to equality. And, you know, I think that one, again, back to the issue of you are trying to help other people, you know, who, who aren't on board already, you're trying to help them overcome the I am not that, you know, I am not gay or, or uh-huh. bi or whatever. And, you know, that is such a huge task. And, and when you were saying before that, you know, we have to change how everybody thinks, I just wanted to underscore that because I feel like that is really the 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 foundational work of grinder in terms of having an impact is changing the way everybody thinks and changing it from the i i am that and i am not that to we are all each other and we have mm-hmm. to make safe spaces for mm-hmm. each other yes. and you know i uh, you know was raised in a very progressive liberal home but you know i have a hard time integrating the we with Donald Trump, for instance. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. that's that's more of the challenge for me is, you know, LGBT no. gay pride, yay, right on. Donald Trump is me. Uh, that's hard for me. But, you know, that's yes, the challenge. I have a really close friend who recently wrote us, you know, her Facebook status as what, you know, what part of yourself can you see in Donald Trump? Like challenge yourself to see Awesome. Where he reflects Beautiful. you and what you might want to be working on. Awesome. Oh that's, my God. That's an inner revolutionary right there. Yeah. You know, because, it, you know, it's not, it, of course, it, you know, we've got a show right today about Grinder and the wonderful work you're doing for the LGBT community. But really, we have to change how everybody thinks about everybody else. You know, right. we have to all, we have to all come together so that the Muslims are fighting for LGBTQ rights and, you know, LGBTQ rights are fighting for Black Lives Matter and, you know, on and on and on. We just all have to come together. Yep, I think that's right. And, you know, we do have this interesting phenomenon of that I think is a little bit different than other kind of oppressed people where we are actually present in all communities, right? There are LGBTQ Muslims right. in the United States right. and in the Arab world. There are, you know, black LGBTQ people who have been integrated into these movements um, for forever. Um, right. R- rich, poor, celebrities, executives. Right. Conservatives. Every place, every yeah. race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, from it's, Signal it's, Mountain, Tennessee, so I know that that is sort of a part of the country where people don't think of... Um, necessarily like full-time advocates hailing from but I, you know it's that right. same thing where we can be from anywhere right the great equalizer you know and in that way you know sexuality is part of that picture you know it's a great equalizer it's something that mm-hmm. all of humanity right. all of humanity has to deal with yeah do you want to talk to us a little bit about the work you've done to help support refugees and displaced people jack Sure. I think that's actually a really good example that will illuminate kind of how we work broadly. Um, But for anyone who's never used the app, I just want to describe it a little bit. When you open Grindr, you basically are presented with what we call the cascade, which is all of these photos that people have chosen to represent them on their uh, profile. It's usually people's faces. Uh, especially in the United States, 
in parts of the world where it might be more dangerous, there are uh, more other pictures like that people have chosen to articulate themselves in a different way without kind of putting their face front and center. Um, but what happens is before you get to that cascade, there is a moment where you can get a couple of pop-ups and they might be from uh, ads. They might be actual ads that have been paid for by brands who advertise with us, or they might be from me. Uh, this is one of the key ways that I work is just to get in our users' face even before they've gotten on the app. Um, and I can communicate with them a couple of different ways, but that's you know one of the main ways that I talk to people. So when you look at the issue of refugees, actually, I guess the funny story is that the first day that I started working at Grindr, Joel, who is my boss, who's the founder of Grindr and the CEO, said to me, um, you know, we were kind of talking about all the different kinds of ways that we can get involved and use our ability to communicate with people all over the world. Um, and he said, you know, I know that there's nothing that we can do about what's going on in Syria, but I want to talk about what else we can do. And I just thought, oh, well, I don't like that at all. I don't think that there's anything <laughs> that we can't influence. So I guess I took it as a little bit of a challenge to figure out what could we do around the refugee situation in Syria. And, you know, there's two different types of refugee crises that we play a role in. The first is like what's happened a little bit in Indonesia recently where LGBTQ people are fleeing because of very specific, you know, homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia, but that the general population is not necessarily moving. But, you know, the serious situation is the opposite, where everyone's leaving, maybe particularly the LGBTQ people, but really you just have tons of people pouring out of the country, and in this case, heading mostly to Lebanon, Turkey, and Greece. Uh, at least first, and then they may ultimately be resettled elsewhere. So, you know, we have all these totally overloaded systems to help refugees to get to where they're going. You have sort of the UN systems, and it's all very, it's happening at a huge scale. So some of the nuances around people's individual identities and different needs can really easily get lost in that shuffle. And especially with something like LGBTQ, where, you know, you may be um, a Syrian refugee who's a gay man, and you may be talking to a UN representative, and you don't know this person, and you know that there's a lot of homophobia in the world, and so you may not be willing to tell them uh, what your sort of sexual orientation or gender identity-related needs are, even if they might be open to it. And so even though we couldn't really... You know, we can't stop ISIS. We can't, uh, we aren't taking an active role in combat, obviously. What we realized that we could do was speak to Syrian refugees who were leaving and then finding themselves in a new country and not knowing where to go to, you know, get antiretrovirals if they're HIV positive or to get hormones if they're a trans person or even just where to go to be in a room with other LGBTQ people. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when you're right. moving and so you, you can be so isolated. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of a project where we would figure out the locations that people were 
uh, sort of concentrated. So certain parts of these countries and certain neighborhoods. And then we sent messages out to the folks in those areas and, uh, you know, certainly some other folks probably saw them, but a lot of Syrian refugees who were in these countries would see messages saying, well, here's where to go to get, um, you know, health services. Here's what your rights are in this new area. And we could have it all in Arabic, even though they might be in Greece, even though, you know, they might be in Turkey. And it became a really good way to just communicate with a community that was really hard to find in other ways. Wow. That's so cool. So you have people that are really on site. Are they are they staff members or are they people who just connect with you to give you the information you need? Oh, so we, I basically, I think the big, the best tool that I have in my job besides the app itself is the network of LGBTQ activists that I've been a part of, that I've been really lucky to be a part of over the last 10 years. And, you know, there is in particular a network of conferences uh, that are the ILGA conferences. There's a world conference every two years, and then there are all these regional conferences. And I've just been in these jobs for so long where I go and meet people. And I think that when you connect with people over time like that, and especially when you can see each other in person at least once a year, we just all work very collectively to make sure that all uh, the services are being administered and that all the advocacy is happening and that people who have resources in one area, you know, can connect to the people in another area to give best practices or connect for these types of projects. How do you come up with these ideas, Jack? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, they're okay. so... Helen and I need to be inspired to be creative because we have to get our organization <laughs> more out there. So help yeah, us. I mean, you're brilliant. I mean, th- you know, thinking of what can we do with Syrian refugees and then coming up with that plan. I mean, it's just brilliant and creative. I mean, it's like, I, I really, I don't know if you can answer the question, but I'd be fascinated to know how you come up with these ideas. It's so funny. Um, I don't know. I One honor that I received last year was I was named one of the top 100 most creative people in business by um, what, Fast Company magazine. And when I wow. got the award, or, you know, when I found out about it, I was like, oh, like creative? Am I creative? I don't know. I don't know if that's a part of my self-concept, to be honest. But I guess, you know... I guess you are, Jack. Yes, I think, that, I think you are. Well, I guess I am. I guess I am. I appreciate that. I think that my goal of sort of recreating the world to be a place where more LGBTQ people can experience more joy is a creative project. But I get, you know, I just work with so many artists who are making incredible, you know, prose or visual art that that I, I don't know, maybe I'm a little jealous of too, that I would love to have a little more of that. And that feels so creative to me. But I know that these ideas are creative in a way. I guess they come from just really being in that community and in this movement, right, that I talked about, that I'm connected with LGBTQ activists all over the world. I think that when we're together, even when we're not necessarily talking about activism, we, I think, you know, that is kind of the the place that the ideas get cooked. 
and then you go back home and you're like, oh, you know, this, per- the, this thing that this person is doing, I could totally, you know, promote on the app or I could be useful in this way or I think that it's all from community. I think that's my answer. Well, I love what you're saying about that, Jack, and, I, and it goes back to the concept of oneness. You know, what we were saying before of that the great separator is when your mind says, I am not that. And what a great unifier it is when you can say to everybody, I am that, you know. And so you are the poet. You are the visual artist. You know, it's manifesting in a different way, but, you know, you are that. And I think that energy of creativity that you're talking about in the community really promotes that, that we are each other's muse, so to speak, uh, because the energy of creativity is just in the field. Oh, I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. It, and, you know, really, we all have to embrace our creativity in whatever fashion it comes out, because if we didn't have creativity in social activism or political activism or in business or in, you know, religious organizations, right? If we didn't have, commu- if we didn't have creativity to break out of molds and see things in a different way and try new, new ways of reaching people or distributing our message or our product, um, then things would be pretty stagnant and, and nothing would change. So it's just, you know, it's a blessing no matter what form it comes in. Mm-hmm. Well, I do believe well, that. Yeah, and the world is better off for the particular kind of creativity you have, Jack. So yes, it's appreciated. And obviously Fast well, Company you. fast company noticed. So that's that's awesome. And keep, keep them cooking. <laughs> Always. So tell us about some other activities that you've been doing. We'd love to hear about some detail. Sure. Let's um, let's see if there's one that is super. I'd like to. I'd uh, like to hear about the. I'd like to hear about the HIV reduction. uh, um, Sure. Well, you know. It's interesting because we're living in an age when we have some of the best, well, really the best tools that we have to stop the HIV epidemic. And it's a really exciting time to be in that area because there's just so much to do that can have so much impact, really as sort of as quickly as we can do it. So PrEP is a daily pill. Well, really, it refers to anything that you're doing or taking in order to prevent um, acquiring HIV. So it stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And basically what you're doing is taking a little bit of the pills that we use to treat HIV every day, which makes your body uh, not a good habitat for the virus, even if it is introduced. So the more people that we can get on this medication, which is really easy, you know, it's just, it's one pill a day and you can get it, if not covered by your insurance, there are ways to get it covered through programs uh, that either the government runs or the corporation that creates it runs. And we're just seeing tremendous impact around lower new cases in the areas that have it. Uh, we're even seeing now reduction in non-HIV STDs because people are going in 
for more frequent care um, and therefore are getting tested for those other things more frequently. And, you know, as long as you treat them, it's all fine. And, and probably just raising awareness. Right, totally. The more you're talking to your doctor, more, the more openly uh, and the more about sex, the better, you know, the, all of these outcomes are going to be, right? right? So we have it in the U.S. We, they have it in Canada, Peru, South Africa, Kenya, um, and it's just a handful of other places. But we really would like to, you know, see this rolled out in all of the world who will have it, right? That we would like to see all of the uh, sort of equivalent bodies to the FDA in other countries approving it. Uh, we'd like to see those who are actually providing health care to their people through socialized health care systems. We'd like them to be covering it. Um, and then we really have to talk to all of the guys and um, and women and non-binary people who can be taking it, right, and can be asking their doctor for it or to talk to them about it. And, you know, it's just, it takes out such a big piece. Going back to that shame piece that we're talking about, you know, not mm-hmm. only is it protecting your physical health, but it's also protecting your mental health because we have all grown, you know, many of us have grown up with such fear of HIV and it can be, it can make it, you know, it can become a fear of being gay. Um, It can become a fear of sex in general. It can become a fear of intimacy. And now for there to be a kind of simple solution that can take away a lot of that anxiety, it's just really tremendous. So we've been doing as much as we possibly can to promote it everywhere that we can. That's awesome. And, you know, it makes so much sense, Jack, because the cost of treating HIV is astronomical. And if the, you know, if the, the 196 countries, you know, would all get behind this prophylactic measure, you know, it could be just an unbelievable impact and an incredible savings to everyone financially yes. as well as, you know, of course, emotionally, socially, spiritually, physically, but financially, you know, is such a big motivator for, for the world, you know, yeah, unfortunately. Arguments, even if they're not our uh, first priority. Yeah. 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 So in 2016, we committed to doing uh, two messages a week somewhere in the U.S. about PrEP. So sometimes that was about a local organization where you could go and get it for free. Sometimes that was about uh, sort of answering people's misconceptions or their frequently asked questions about the uh, the drugs or the drug. Um, and sometimes it was just uh, letting them know that it existed, right? And we saw tremendous uh, results from that campaign. We did a, a survey at the end, which you cited in your introduction, that said one in 10 uh, people who had started to take preps since the previous year, linked to their decision to talk to their doctor about it directly to our outreach. And I think it's just uh, really illustrative of sort of our potential for reaching people with these kinds of messages. Yeah, it's really great. It must be so unbelievably rewarding, Jack. I mean, can you even imagine doing anything else with your life? Well, no, I can't really, to be honest. I, um, I'm very lucky to have this job. I feel like I 
could be doing a lot of things. I think they would all look something like this, but mm-hmm. the, the tools that I have to impact change here are incredible. Yeah, and you and you get to come up with all these creative ways of implementing them and reaching people. And um, one of the questions I I don't know if it even relates to Grinder, but you know I've heard on NPR recently about the torture and the horrible experiences of some LGBTQ people in certain repressive countries. Uh, you know, is there anything that you can do to help them, and what do you do? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that we do. We, uh, on a very basic level, do just partner with local organizations in those places to make sure that people who are on the app know where they can go when anything happens or, you know, when they want to connect with the community. I think that that is probably the most powerful thing that we do, uh, just because it's at such scale and providing such a crucial service all the time. But when we have some of these really emergent situations, like what's been happening in Chechnya, and for anyone who's listening who doesn't know that background, recently the uh, the it's a, it's the government of Chechnya, which is a part of Russia, but that has mm-hmm. a little bit of autonomy from the center. So they have their own government, uh, mm-hmm. opened a concentration camp and torture center for, uh, gay men. And it's one of the, one of the first that we've seen in the world since World War Two. you know, when gay people were rounded up, uh, along with Jews and, Roma people and people with disabilities and put in those concentration camps. And we did have, I think, a little bit of a role in two ways in trying to impact that situation. The first was to work with the Russian LGBT network, which is uh, sort of the flagship LGBT organization for the country, to distribute a phone number that's kind of the equivalent of a U.S. 1-800 number that anyone in that region who wanted to be evacuated, could call the number and be evacuated in under an hour. Uh, Everyone would hopefully ultimately get out of Russia altogether, but at least be taken out of the region where they were in immediate danger. Wow. And so we sort of participated in that direct outreach, which resulted in about 85 people being evacuated. So that was sort of one piece that we could take on. And we've continued to really just use that outreach piece as a way to give people the most current information as things have developed. So now, you know, the camp is closed, but there's still a lot of danger. So, you know, now that's kind of the message we're sending. The other thing that we did, because it was just such a big, uh, just, you know, huge global emergency, was we did an appeal to all of our members across the world and asked them for money for the relief fund to, to help get these people uh, out of Russia and resettled and also give money to the LGBT Russian network um, for the work that they were doing inside the country. And so that was really, that fundraising effort was headed up by ILGA Europe, which is an LGBT umbrella organization for the continent of Europe. Um, But we really asked our members to contribute and, you know, we're one of the biggest uh, sources of cash for that fund. So those were the two ways that we kind of participated in that situation. And, you know, it's just situation to situation what we're able to do in any given emergency. And, you know, the truth is that, 
these emergencies happen on a weekly basis somewhere. Um, right. But, you know, we do our best of the ones that we become aware of. So. Mm-hmm. What about in China? Are you seeing that your you know affiliation with your parent company is assisting you at all or is... Is your is your activist work in China really outside of the ownership of Beijing Kunlun Tech? Um, well, you know the interesting thing about China is being LGBT is not illegal, uh, it, nor is it classified as a mental illness anymore. Uh, you, you know, people certainly there is repression of activists in China of all kinds. You know, sort of regardless of what you're organizing for. But LGBT people broadly are not necessarily under attack from the Chinese government. So we definitely um, engage around health issues in particular in China, uh, which we do talk about HIV and health Mm -hmm. issues everywhere. Um, But I think what's cool about Chinese LGBT movement is that health issues are kind of more neutral to the government, right? Like they do not want an HIV epidemic at the level that other countries have. And so even though it might be seen as a form of activism um, through like how we think about activism, that really gets a pass in a lot of ways in China. And so that is a way for people to come into the kind of nonprofit community um, or really connect with people who are doing all kinds of LGBT organizing. And then, you know, from there, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of ways that people want to challenge uh, what is problematic in China. And so that is an easy way to kind of funnel them in. So, for example, last year we were really involved in the China AIDS Walk, which I think is a really cool example of an LGBT sort of activist event so, you know, we have AIDS walks in the United States. They have them in various countries. But this one, because it's particularly um, about visibility in Chinese society where LGBT people might be more invisible. So they walk on the Great Wall of China for the AIDS Ooh. walk, which is cool because it's oh. visible from the moon. Right. It's one of wow. the few uh, man-made structures that's visible from space. So that's sort of how they frame their activist or sort of their event. Wow. It's, it's fascinating that they are, that it's not illegal in China that, you know, with all of the other human rights uh, issues that exist in China, that, that not to say they don't have any issues there about the LGBTQ community, sure, but, that, sure. but that they're not, they're certainly not like Chechnya. Right. It is really more about family pressure. I feel like the family pressure is the thing that is, it's not religious pressure like it is often in the United States, and it's not government pressure like it might be in Chechnya, but it's really about, like, if I live a gay life, will I still be able to maintain my connection to my siblings, to my parents, to my community? Right. And wow. what what can you do about that, if anything, uh, you know, Grinder, what can Grinder do to help impact that situation? Yeah, that, it's a tough one, right? Because I don't have the parents themselves to speak to or the family members. Um, so, but what I have done is I have a relationship with a couple of um, LGBT organizations in China 
or sort of one in particular that really um, is one of the ways that they work is to create films and to nurture young LGBT uh, sort of human rights themed filmmakers. And so one who I've become really close with has created two films. Uh, one is Papa Rainbow and one is Mama Rainbow. And Mama Rainbow was really a look at six mothers of Chinese LGBT kids uh, who were really accepting or had been on a journey towards acceptance, right? They didn't all start as super accepting, but they got there. And with the dads, it's actually not all people who ultimately got there. It's really also with dads who were clearly, you know, interested enough to show up and participate in this film project, but we're not all super accepting yet. But some of them are, and anyway, you see the process, and there are a couple of other organizations that have done things like this that just explore the issue of family acceptance. And so that's been a, a little bit of my tactic on that, is to just show our users, you know, as much as they want to access it, you know, that this is possible, right? That mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. impossible to find family acceptance, um, you know, that it's not, and it's not uh, just about being in China, right? That no Chinese families can accept you. That U.S. families might accept you, but Chinese families can't. This is about showing uh, a possible, you know, a possibility to people who might be hopeless around that issue. So that has been how I've tried to talk to that. That's great yeah. to to inspire inspire them to take the risk to fight for themselves, and all, also to right. normalize it. And we know that it. some people will even show their parents the film and watch it with their parents right. and have that be kind of part of the journey, which I think is cool. Right, right. Yeah. Because if we normalize it and they see that other other parents are embracing their children and they're not um, staying stuck in their old beliefs, that it might help right. them think I too could cross over that path. And I, I think it goes back to so much of um, what we see around us. It's It's what our culture, it's what our culture is telling us is, normal or not normal or acceptable or not acceptable that influences us and then we create these whole belief systems around that but it's very limited to the particular culture that we um, happen to be in you know um we've got right you know, we've and got i think that five, is the creative thing oh i'm sorry jack i just wanted to say we've got about five minutes left and i i know there are a lot of there's a okay. lot of other great stuff that you're doing what would you like to share with us in the past, the last few minutes that we have together? Oh gosh, that's super, that's super interesting. What would be a big message? Well, you know, I think maybe the one thing that we haven't really talked about, but that is really related to that thing of like that my activist community holds me and is where all of my creativity comes from and enables all of the work that I do because it's all in collaboration with them. I think maybe the other thing that I would just want to share is how I sort of have hoped to uh, do this in a way that could still be, uh, that could still sort of interrupt a colonial narrative of me being from a U.S. corporation and really working in other parts of the world. And I guess what I mean by that, if that's not clear, is just that sometimes when I go into these spaces, there is just a lot of expectation that, 
Americans are going to act a certain way or that, you know, being from a corporation, we're going to behave a certain way. But I really want to say that it is possible to do this work um, in another way, which is to really center the voices of the people who are on the ground in these countries and to really, you know, what I always try to do is to just meet their needs and to do what they're saying is the most important thing because they will always know better than me, you know, what the situation is in Chechnya or what the situation is in Nigeria. And I think that that's probably one of the things that has made the program so successful is I think that when Americans don't do that or people in power don't do that, uh, really just listen as well as act, um, I think, you know, that is when we get these kinds of projects that have great intentions and just have no results because they didn't follow the advice of the people who actually knew what would appeal to, you know, the folks on the ground. So I guess that's that's one of my biggest learnings that I would share. That is such a great lesson to learn because it goes along with the oneness, you know, that we have to flatten the hierarchy. And that's really what you're talking about is flattening the hierarchy so that there isn't any, you know, authority. It's it's everybody co-creating what's needed together. And it's a wonderful lesson and a wonderful attitude to bring to to your outreach work. So good for you. I'd like to ask you, what are some of the things that you have in the works that have not come to fruition yet? Oh, interesting. Well, we're really working on a couple of governments to start providing prep, uh, like I was talking about. Uh, And we're really Mm -hmm. trying to generate some community-based data to make those arguments, which I think is kind of exciting. Just asking Grindr users, you know, do you want this? Uh, you know, what, how, how are you preventing HIV now in your life uh, to really make those arguments? And I think that'll be really cool. Um, and then we're also looking at some changes to the actual architecture of the app to integrate more of this kind of social justice point of view, right? So making sure that the app is responsive to when you log on to it in a place where it might be more dangerous or also, you know, making sure that the app is trans-inclusive because we really strive to be a platform that respects gender identity as well as sexual orientation. So mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing that I'm really excited about coming up. Well, those are very cool things. Um, should I read the uh, description for next week, Chris, and then we can come back? Yes, please. Okay, this is for the show next week. How does Granny Rocks relate to you? Can Granny really change the world join guest granny rocks who is beth green as host helen hillix explores what empowered a 72 year old semi-invalid to start a new career using music and commentary to impact human consciousness and if you resonate join us on september 9th for bathe in joy a granny rocks experience in san diego where we will see how granny rocks is a social activist Do you believe that we can be happy in a world that is suffering so much? Granny Rocks does. Do you have what it takes to be happy no matter what? Can you reinvent yourself? What are the challenges that we face when we decide to bring our passion to fruition no matter the obstacles? Believe it or not, we all have what it takes to turn our lives upside down for a calling in one way or another. Listen as we hear what Beth is doing with Granny Rocks and be inspired to do the same for yourself and for the world. Thanks, Helen. Um, Jack, Beth Green is the founder of our organization. She's in her she's in her mid seventies, and she's had a lot of 
health problems since she was quite young and, uh, I mean, very serious, debilitating problems. But she's been a political activist, social activist, and spiritual activist since she was quite young. And um, uh, just an amazing story and a woman who's consistently stood up for the rights of everyone. And she was in the Black Panther movement. She was involved with a movement in the 70s that was trying to get wages for housewives. Um, she wrote a, she wrote an editorial, was it for the New York Times, Helen, when she was in middle school, talking about uh, being against the Vietnam War. I may have some of my facts a little mixed up, but Helen. Yeah, or ban the bomb. Ban the bomb. And, uh, you know, I met her a couple of decades ago, and Helen met her before that, and it was through working with Beth that I came to understand that in order for the world to change, I needed to challenge myself and my own beliefs and then support others to do the same, which led us to be very integral in the, in the inner revolution and be part of this radio show. Helen's the co-director for the inner revolution. I'm just a volunteer. I'm also on the board, but um, I just wanted to acknowledge Beth for a moment and, you know, tie in her work. Um, and the guidance she's been given and that she shared with us and how that how that relates to the work that Grinder's doing. And invite you, Jack, and invite all of our listeners to our Granny Rocks experience where you you can't help but be inspired by Beth Green. There's there's just no way that anyone walks away from, you know, meeting Beth and seeing what she's doing uh, that you find more, you know, you find that part of yourself that needs uh, more more joy, more creativity, and more courage to just be out there and be yourself. And I don't know, Jack, it sounds like you it sounds like you've got a boatload of joy, encouraging and creativity too. Um, but you'd be you know we'd love to have you join us if you can for that event. I'll send you the information. You know, it's so funny, Chris, because listening to Jack for this hour has been so fascinating and how easy it is for us to feel in alignment with what you're doing, Jack, even though we come from what seems to be a completely different perspective. There's so much in common and that never ceases to amaze me and inspire me. So what do you want to leave our listeners with, Jack? Oh, gosh. Well, I just have a lot of uh, gratefulness for y'all having me. I don't know if I have any parting words. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I would like to, I would like to say in, you know, just closing this up, you know, Jack is an extremely well-educated person with an incredible um, background starting out uh, going to Georgetown university. And it's beautiful to see you using your intellect and your drive and your passion for the benefit of people around the world. And it's just been wonderful to have you on the show. And um, I know Helen feels the same way. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you've been just a delight. And we want to just say thank you for all the work you're doing on behalf of humanity, because that is how we see it, is you're doing this work on behalf of making the world a better place for everyone. So Keep up the great work, Jack, and we'll be following you on the internet. All right. Well, thank you so much. And good luck with all of your work. Well, thank you so much. Hope to see you around town somewhere in the future. Okay. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Bye, everyone. See you next week.
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be inspired. Join us.